Howdy, friends, and welcome to The Story Field. This is a podcast where we talk about business, faith, and life in general. Okay, so here's the deal. We want you to be encouraged. We want you living in hope. This life we live is complex. It's hard at times. At The Story Field, you will find great stories of normal people just like us who will inspire you. Our goal is that you leave encouraged, inspired, and excited to move forward in life. But before we get started, one thing though, if you're listening and you find yourself really hopeless right now, send us an email at hope at thestoryfield.com so we can pray for you. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Okay, Storyfield. Hey, I want you to welcome uh, Brian Carpenter. Brian, man, I'm, I am honored you made time for this interview. I'm super excited to see what God has in store for it. So thanks for being here. You bet, man. It's exciting. Love that uh, you guys are doing this and uh, very encouraged by uh, the conversation you guys are having with leaders uh, every week. So really excited. Yeah. Well, thank you. So Brian, I'm, I'm going to, okay, let's clarify it this way. So you're the founder and uh, currently lead the Refuge Foundation. So we'll get you to clarify this more, but let me take a shot at Big Picture Refuge from my perspective right now, okay? Sure. So Refuge Heart is to keep ministry leaders serving and keep them healthy um, and to prevent them from quitting because they, because you guys know and have learned if a leader quits, it impacts their lives, their families, and you, everybody around them. And you guys have had a huge impact. And, you know, based on a recent report from 2018 to 21, you've had you've hosted 3000 like unique guests. And that's not even repeat people, is it? No, uh-uh. we try okay. to get all of our repeat people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's um, over 50 percent, which were full time vocational ministry. Um, and from those guests alone, this blows my mind it is amazing. From those 3000 unique guests. Um, in that time period, they have an influential reach of 16 plus million. That's mm. mind blowing. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that doesn't even count 2022 guests either. So, so right. I ran across a quote from you. you know, I want you to take this and then let's get into, uh, you know, the refuge story. Um, in 2007, you said, I wanted to make sure my friends were doing good. And so we went fishing. Um, along the way, we realized how powerful that simple thing is just hanging out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Take us off. Well, I mean, I think in a busy, in a busy world with busy leaders and busy families and busy marriages and kids going everywhere and all the responsibility and weight that a leader carries. I mean, it's, we live in a new time and everything's like, this is the time that's been going forever. I mean, this is like the last 30 years, 40 years, 50 years of civilization, especially in the United States. I mean, things are rapidly changing in, you know, a crazy way. And we're just not built for it. I mean, the human body, the spirit, the mind, our interrelational capacity and needs are just not built for the pace that we're living. And, uh, the, and, and for us, it's normal. We're like, oh yeah, you, you build balance sheets and you build teams and you build churches and you build organizations and you help 20,000 kids in Africa that you're feeding rice and beans to every day. And, how you get that stuff from a port to a truck, to a bus, to a feeding center, you know, this is normal life for everyone today, but it really isn't. It's just normal life today. And so there's something deep in our DNA and our spirits, uh, especially the way God created us to, to connect deeply with one another. And so 
how do we create spaces where someone's not selling you something, someone's not setting the table uh, for something that really isn't, you know, because we've all been to something where somebody set the table for something, then we got there and we're like, this isn't really what they said. They said we were having pizza and I got here and it's tacos. You know, they said they just wanted to care about us, but they actually want to sell us something. So, you know, for us, it was really about, you know, the true authentic nature of spending time with people that you love and getting into like the real life stuff, real conversations, real heart talks, real laughter. You know, we were just having dinner with our small uh, group, our little personal little dinner club here in town the other night. And, you know, there's a part during the night where I'm on the ground, literally on the ground on my back laughing so hard. I was almost crying, you know, like this is the good stuff of life that so many leaders and so many people miss out on. And, and because of that, after a while, you actually just want to go live a normal life. And so you step out of leadership because you want access to the things that normal people have access to. And you eventually just want to kind of get the weight off your shoulders and move on in life. So for us, yeah, I mean, it, it just started out of our own experience of fishing with some buddies. And, uh, you know, I was just on the phone with one of the guys I started with 20 years ago, who's still one of my best friends. And we were planning our trip for, for the end of May for him to come out. You know, we're still you know, excited, like, you know, we're still 20 years old, you know, talking about going on a fishing trip. And here we've been doing it for 20 years. And he pastors at a huge church in California. And um, we're still just, you know, we love being together. We love being in creation. We love, I'm sending him fish pictures from the river the other day and video from catching fish. And, you know, I mean, we're still like, you know, we've caught thousands of fish and we're still taking fish pictures and sending to our buddies. And so it's just all really an excuse just for relationship and going deep with each other. And, really finding something to connect over. Yeah. I mean, but how did you discover, like when, when did the idea kind of come up? I mean, you guys, you were doing it, you were growing up doing this. Like mm-hmm. it probably was pretty normal to you guys, the the guys who, but at what point did you like, did you really feel led upon to like, okay, like we need to do this in a more capacity because I've seen the impact it has on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think me and that buddy were actually talking the other day. Um, we're like, man, I think we're coming up on 20 years together. And we started reminiscing about the very, very first trip. And, you know, there was no 501c3 status. There was no staff. There was no board. You know, just a few of us going fishing. And so, you know, for us, we never thought we probably were going to start anything. And we still joke as an organization today, like we still haven't started anything really. We're just fishing with our buddies because it's more fun just to fish with your friends and start some, you know, big thing that's a lot of work and a lot of pressure. It's more fun just to kind of still just think you're serving your buddies, which we are. And, um, but yeah, so we did that for three years and uh, same group of guys, five guys. First year we hired some other guide outfitters, you know, on the Yellowstone river. And then, you know, we started just volunteering ourselves with small groups, buddies from church, people from church, bringing their own stuff, cooking, serving, you know, guys, you know, we bought a dumpy little lodge. And, and then in 2007, we got our, you know, nonprofit status. And, you know, but it wasn't until I think this is our eighth or ninth year where, for my family, my wife, Deanne and I, you know, it's been the last eight or nine years that we left, you know, staff on, at the church that we were working at and um, really have given a full-time effort. So it's been pretty remarkable. The first year we started, you know, eight or nine years ago, full-time doing this. Cause before we were just kind of running on our mm-hmm. vacation days and off weeks. And you know what that's like, just kind of, you know, trying to get a few guys a year that we could help. And then uh, the first year we started it um, together, we, you know, we did 35 guests that year and, all volunteer driven still. And then, you know, the second year we did maybe like 75 or 90 guys or something. And now the volunteers are kind of running out of vacation days and, you know, can only take off so much time from the old UPS. And, you know, so then we started doing an intern program um, 
and we have actually 65 full-time staff today. But, you know, from that first year, eight years ago, nine years ago, today, you know, we went from 35 guests to about almost 2,000 last year, like 1,850 guests last year. But the thing is remarkable to the need. Um, I don't think that says anything really about our leadership. I think it says something about the need. And yeah. I, I think I think I call it the great lie. You know, it's, there's this lie that everybody assumes that leaders are okay, that they're at the top of their game and they're reading Maxwell books and Craig Rochelle books and, you know, business things and leadership things. And man, these guys are just freaking cranking them. I mean, they're, they're in great shape. And the reality is when you look at the data, when you, when you look at it anecdotally, just from a, you know, perspective of, you know, a leader and the stories that they tell, um, you know, they're not doing well. They're not doing well at all. There's a major, major problem here. And um, so we got to figure this problem out. I call it the great lie. You know, this is the great, this will go down as the great lie in the American church in the 21st century, without a doubt, which is the state of our leaders. And I think that goes also to our uh, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, uh, church leaders. So for us, we just started because we knew we were in trouble. You know, at some level, deep in our spirits, we knew, and if we weren't in trouble, we knew we were going to be in trouble. It might not be today. It might not be next week. It might be six months from now or a year. I mean, it doesn't take being around leadership very long and to start seeing your friends are in trouble, people you respect or read about are in trouble in the news you know, or whatever it is to start going, man, if I don't start setting something up now to be preemptive in my own health for the long term, I don't even foresee myself being in this for very much longer. And we just know the data. I mean, average youth pastor in America is two years. Most pastors don't make it longer than five years. I mean, come on, folks. Like if we said the same thing that was true in the medical arena, imagine if the the, the hospitals, imagine if uh, uh, Mayo or Cleveland Clinic or, you know, your local hospital is like, yeah, we have like our junior residents at our hospital last two years. And then they go become mechanics or sell insurance. Oh, our doctors at our hospital at Mayo last five years. And then they go and sell houses. You know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But this kind of stuff happens in the churches and it happens in, you know, the nonprofit space. And we think, yeah, well, that's just what it is. It's been happening for 20 years. And it's got like, no, we got to tell a better story. We got to figure something else out because this is not working. It's not sustainable from a kingdom perspective. God, maybe it's felt too complicated of a problem to try to see any results, but you've seen that that's not the case, right? I mean, what have you seen when you get these leaders out who are in that space? Like, I'm, you know, I think you said 81% of people maybe have a an event that might be making them, you know, um, soon to quit whatever leadership mm-hmm. and whatever ministry that are in when they show up on a trip, what have you seen just help? Is it complicated to help them? I mean, what? Well, you can't, I think, I, I never think you can like break uh, a curse or a spirit by coming out with the same spirit. So, you know, what we've done, mm-hmm. I think, I think everything we've done up to this point, we've done with the right heart, not meaning refuge, but I think the church and just the Christian culture, which is we thought we were going to train them out of it. We thought we were going to actually coach them out of it. We thought we were going to like write books about it out of it. You know, we're going to conference them out of it, you know, and thinking that that was going to do it. But if that was the case, then Jesus would have just done like big rallies and conferences and written scripts and, you know, scrolls for everybody instead of finding 12 dudes to like walk around with day day in and day out. So, you know, we know that what changes hearts, what changes people, I don't care if you're a president or you're a pauper, you know, living on the side of the street, like what changes hearts and lives is relationship. It's serving 
It's deep connection. It's honor. It's time together. It's adventure. It's laughter. It's celebration. It's tears. It's, it's trust. You know, what changes lives is trust. Like what, what, what difference, what differentiates a relationship between just somebody, you know, or they know you, or you know, them from around town, or you met them a few times and your best friend is trust. Your best friends are somebody because you trust them. You would tell them anything. They can bear your burdens. They can celebrate with you. And we know that the way that the human mind is, you know, created, we even know this now scientifically from modern research around, you know, uh, brain health and, uh, you know, uh, mental health, all the things that they're doing now with brain scans and everything else is that when you share burdens, when you, when you actually talk to somebody about what's going on with you, there's something that is healed in you, in your brain, in your, uh, uh, in your spirit. We know that, you know, so even, even Jesus said in James chapter five, or, uh, the writer of James, James chapter five, said confess your sins one one to another that you might be healed like what like why do i got to tell you i would actually read that scripture be fully known one to another that you might be healed why do i have to tell you something why do i have to be known to you why do i have to confess my sins the dark parts of my my heart and my life that i'm shameful about why do i have to tell you that to be healed why can't i just say confess your sins to god that you might be healed it doesn't say that. It never says that. There's nowhere in the scripture that says that. Actually, in James 5, right before that, it says, if you need forgiveness of sins, ask God and he gives it freely. Like, And then it goes on two or three sentences later. Now confess your sins one another to be healed because confession of sins is a salvation issue and confession of sins to a friend or to someone who loves you is a healing issue. So the Bible says to the level that we're known is the level that we're going to be healed. Now, who is the least known people in the world? The leaders. Yeah. Because they have a lot to lose. If somebody finds out that they've got a problem or they have a sin issue or they have a, a marriage issue or they have a, a, a some kind of deep personal secret sin and they tell somebody they don't go to work on Monday. Now, if I yeah. work at the insurance office or, or I'm selling, you know, uh, you know, I'm a financial planner or something, I can go tell my pastor that I can tell my friend that I can tell my small group that. And although I might be, you know, uh, embarrassed or might feel uncomfortable at the end of the day, I still get paid on Monday. I still go to work on Monday. I still make a living. I'm not at risk of that. So, you know, for, for us, we, we, we got the most unhealed population of Christian leaders in the world because there's nowhere that they can actually go to get help. And I think it's starting to get to the point where they're at least, you know, there's, there's starting to be a movement where I think Christian leaders are starting to feel more accepted to go to therapists or counselors to get, you know, some help from that perspective uh, where they can actually get some care and help, which I think is really healthy. But What's even more healthy is having like some great friends, some people. Yeah, it's fascinating. Micah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say something like, do you think because of the era that we're in in social media and trying to be the hero or trying to put the best version of ourselves at all time in order for, I don't know, for not to people put us on a pedestal, but pastors often think that they've got to be this perfect life somewhat for some reason, instead of just being open and honest, they'll social media wise, you think everything is great. Has that, yeah. you think that's compounded it because there's so many avenues of TikTok and Instagram and all that other stuff. Cause it's such a me, me, me environment we're in right now. Hey y'all. I just want to make an observation. When I see someone going through a legal situation, it seems like there are way too many unknowns. Well, the Allen Firm provides legal guidance so that you can make a great decision, come to a resolution, and be at peace. 
For more information about the Allen Firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. Yeah, 100%. I think also uh, it just compounds our shame because we know the thing that we're showing, front-facing piece of life that we're showing, whether it's on stage at the church, or again, I think this goes on to everybody. It's not just pastors. I think this is people running orphanages and, you know, working in sex trafficking ministry and working in, you know, all the different things that are out there, you know, for all of us, it's like, if you're raising money, if you're in a charitable organization and people are giving you charitable dollars, you've got to put your front face on your good face on. You got to look on social media and Instagram, like your family's great. You're doing great. And you're happy. And oh, look, I'm at the gym today. Why does that guy have a shirt off? That's one of my questions I always have. Um, but you know, for sure. I, th- I think social media is a part of it, but I don't think it started now. I think this has been going on for a long time, way before social media. I remember when I was a senior or I was a, I was a freshman in high school was going to a small Baptist church, no social media at that time, you know, maybe 200 people, you know, the guy who was the pastor, his sons were big football stars. I respected FCA guys. And just, it seemed like a sweet, perfect family. I'll never remember walking in, forget walking into church one weekend. And it's almost like a funeral. It feels like, like somber people aren't really talking loud. And this guy gets kind of paraded out in front of the church and the boards there, the executive pastor there. And, you know, he was caught going into a hotel with a gal from, uh, the church and was having an affair. I mean, I, so I don't, I'm, I'm saying, I don't think, I mean, obviously there's a piece of social media and a piece of like connectivity that I think is doing damage to our spirits in just a whole nother way. I think the greater damage is doing to our spirits from that perspective is it, it's created a covetous spirit within ministry leaders of all kinds, having access to too much data and having access to too many other places of people doing things. So now I can look at a Stephen Furtick or I can look at an Andy Stanley or I can look at a Rick Warren or I can look at, you know, uh, all the hot, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, people out there right now, uh, pastors, the Judas Smiths, whatever. And if I'm a pastor, man, 50 years ago, I pastored my little church in Billings, Montana, because God said, come here and shepherd these people and take care of them. And I had no clue what was going on anywhere else. And I was just faithful to these people and serve these people because that's what God said. And God is a God who cares about faithfulness, not a, way, way more about faithfulness than production, right? He cares way more about how we steward the thing that he called us to steward than producing within that thing, because really he cares more about us than what we're doing and how how he's developing who we are as people. But what's happened with social media and the Internet and having access to every single pastor in America or in the world, for that matter, is all of a sudden our leaders have become very uh, covetous. There's a spirit of covetousness that's taken over our leaders. who goes like, well, I want that. If I had that guy's church, if I lived in that city, if I had those people, if I had that worship leader, man, I could do that too. Or I, I'd be in that same place. Instead of just saying, man, I don't really care. I mean, God bless those guys and what they're doing. And I'm so thankful that they're doing what they're doing. But for me, I just want to be faithful with this little flock that God's given me or big flock that God's given me in this town. And, and what happens is then you start to measure yourself in leadership. I mean, I see this with young life leaders we work with even like they go to the big young life national convention or whatever it is. And it's all like, what are you guys running? What's your group running? What are you running? You know, all of a sudden these guys come back from this convention of the national ministry that's supposed to, they're supposed to leave encouraged and inspired and built up. And also when you talk to these guys and they come home, they feel like trash because they really did. They just talked to all these other guys. They're running a thousand kids when they're barely making a hundred working their ass off, you know? So I think, I think so much of this access has actually been a part of what's killing us. That's why we're trying to get these guys away from all that, away from the noise, away from their phones for a week, back to true connection, back to creation, like where you can look up around the campfire at night around a bunch of other guys and see the stars and be like, oh yeah, you're reminded how small you are. 
you're reminded how good the Lord is. You're reminded how sweet this relationships and friendships are. Because what happens is when the only place you're getting sweetness, when the only place that you're getting uh, fulfillment, where, where the only place that you're finding a real depth of purpose is within the thing that you're growing, that's a problem. But when that's just a part, it's like, yeah, like I love the thing I'm leading and I'm thankful for it. And, but you know, if I didn't have it, like I just love my life and my family and my friends. And I've got this really deep, rich life as a leader outside of what I'm producing, you know? And for most leaders, there is no life outside of production. It's like there's production and building something and growing something, which I'm all about. I mean, we're doing strat op plans at our organization and 10 year plans and hiring staff and trying to raise money and trying to grow. But I said to our staff and team the other day, like, if we don't reach this 10 year goal, like, I'm not going to be destroyed by that. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, we didn't do it and it's a failure. You know, we're trying to do 10 locations in 10 years, 10,000 leaders. And I told our, our whole lead team and our board, I said, hey, and if we get to four or six, then that's what God had. But we're at least going to plan and work and pray and believe in faith that maybe it would we could be we could be a part of a God-sized miracle if we got to 10, right? Most leaders would be like, well, if we don't get to 10, it's, it's a failure. And they start pushing people on that process unhealthily to live in an unhealthy way to accomplish this vision, this huge vision they have. And everyone loses their soul in the process. And so for me, I'm always saying to our staff, like, we're not doing that. Like, we're going to pray. We're going to we're going to look for the divine. We're going to look for the miraculous. We're going to contend. We're going to try to do something that, you know, we could never do by ourselves, only with God's help. But if we don't get to that point, we're not going to get down the road 10 years and done everything we can and feel like we failed because we didn't get there. We're just a, it's just a, you know, it's just a goal. And in the process of that, we're going to love each other. We're going to have a blast. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to walk with each other. We're going to experience a true value of life and in life together. So I think these are the things that are, a lot of leaders are missing. And, and so you're right. Maybe social media might be part of that, but I think, I think the, the issues are vast and complex. And I think they, they mainly go back to isolation and loneliness. And that's what we know again from the data. So if you look at just pastors, the data from Barner Research this last year was 42% of senior pastors that they surveyed said they're highly likely, I think was the term they used, to quit in the next two years. Okay. Now that's catastrophic. That's like everybody who just heard that statement, who's a Christian, should go crap their pants right now. Like it's, that would be like culturally, politically, uh, financially, like, I mean, as a nation to lose almost half of our church leaders is catastrophic. As a matter of fact, I talked to David Kinnaman about this from Barna Research. He's a friend of mine. And he said, we'll never come back from that. That's not like, oh, you lost 8% of your churches, 10% of your church. We can come back from that. Like we can rebuild. We can raise up some young kids. Like you'll never come back from that. And he says it's probably worse than 42 um, because of how they asked the question. But, you know, when you look at that, then you go to the next question, which I think is even more important because they didn't just say, would you, would you, are you thinking about quitting in the next 24 months? They then asked the question, why? What are the things in the survey? Why, why are you thinking about quitting? And the two main reasons that pastors gave for feeling that like they're highly likely to quit in the next 24 months was one, uh, loneliness and two was stress. This isn't rocket science. We're not trying to solve brain cancer or, or, you know, global poverty here. Like this is like leaders saying, if I could just get some help in these two areas, I'm lonely and I'm stressed out to the point where I'm so stressed post COVID so stressed out with my organization, with the people, with the finances, with the board, whatever it is that it's just not worth it anymore. Like it's not worth my soul 
to continue in this. It's not worth losing my marriage to continue. It's not worth losing my kids to continue in this. It's not worth living a life with zero friends and no one I can be real with to do this anymore. Like it's not worth that. And so therefore in the next 24 months, they're highly likely, and we should be throwing every resource as a Christian church in America at this problem we have. We should stop doing and spending money on a ton of things that we're doing and spending money on and push all of our money in this battle towards reaching people for Christ and fulfilling the great commission and the great commandment. We should be pushing all of our resources just to retention right now. Because if we don't retain the leaders we have right now, it's not like we can just go out and find these guys. They're all sitting back there just waiting. Tell, I mean, one of the largest things I hear from senior pastors all the time is they can't find a youth pastor. When I was 18, 19, everybody wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be a youth pastor. Everybody wanted to be a youth pastor. It's like you can, now you can walk into any 10,000 member church in America if you're a stud youth pastor and get a job tomorrow. It's unbelievable. These are all bellwethers. These are all canary in the mine shaft type things that everybody should be talking about. And no one's talking about it except us to go like, guys, the canary's dead. He's not chirping anymore. This thing's a problem. It's about to blow up. Oh, guys, the survey companies that we trust, like Barner Research, who are reputable and that we can trust. Hey, look at the data they're putting out. Like, they're not, it's not just some dude giving his opinion, like, oh, it's pretty hard out there to pastor. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, real, real hard. You know, you preach for an hour on Sunday, real tough job. We're saying like the data shows like we are in trouble and no one knows what to do. No one has a clue about it. And, and, you know, and the things that we actually want to do for people are cheap, meaning like it's cheap to write a book. And I'm thankful for people to write books, but it doesn't seem to be changing. Nothing we've, we've been doing for 25 years doing conferences, writing books about these subjects seem to put us in a better place. We're weaker today than we were 20 years ago. As far as our leaders, we're not in a better way. And part of the reason why is because we've tried to just get them to perform, 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 instead of actually like giving a place where they can come and heal with people they love. And we'll be right back with the story field. Okay, Maka, got a question for you. Sweet. What is it? Man, tell me how these words really make you feel. Lawsuit, attorney, contract, legal. Do I need to go on? No, I'm already anxious. I already don't know what's going on. I feel a little stress in my life. And then I'm going to have to spend all of this time doing legal stuff. Yeah. Or, you know, when you go to the mailbox and you open that, you know, that letter or the mailer, maybe it's an ad, maybe it's not. Maybe it's worst case scenario. You open it and says you've been sued. Oh, my gosh. I hate that because then, like, I want to throw it away. But then I also know I need to open it because yeah. it's probably important. But I still well, don't know what it means because it's all full of legal mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Well, our friends at the, at the Allen firm, I mean, they're a law firm. They believe there's just too many unknowns in life's legal situations. You you have to know your options in those situations. And, you, you know, you, you need help making a good decision because, you know, we're normal people. We have a hard time understanding all the all the legal language. And what's actually happening to you. But you can be at peace, and that's what they believe. So, for more information about the Allen firm, visit allenlawfirm.com. Unstuck Coaches hates it when movement and progress in a person's life or business is stuck, or frozen, or slowed, or just stopped altogether. Well, we have found a solution, unstuckcoaches.com. They offer a variety of coaching services 
to get you or your business moving again. Check out unstuckcoaches.com. All right, Josh. The other day, I'm scrolling through Instagram because apparently I have nothing else to do. And I come across this awesome ad. It's visually just stunning. But I could not tell you what the business does or even what the biz- who the business is. Oh, stop it, man. That's so frustrating to me to hear, especially as a business owner. I mean, because somebody had to spend really good money to design that, and it's beautiful. But it's not doing anything. Yeah, the colors didn't match. You looked on the website, and it totally didn't even look like anything they were doing on social media. As a business guy, too, like I said, we're worried about, you know, meeting payroll and doing operational stuff. And this is something, the marketing, something that we don't, I don't get it. I don't really want to learn it. And it's just a burden. I just wish somebody would do it for me. So who do you contact when you end up having those kind of problems? Well, man, our friends at Mountain Path Marketing have a playbook that they run for you. It's really, really cool. Um, that's mountainpathmarketing.com. Check them out. They can like stop you from being so discouraged and overwhelmed. And do they have like a proven timeline or a proven way to get you the resources that you need? Yeah, Micah, these guys, they have a clear proven framework that works to connect them to more customers and let them love their business again and see some business growth. Well, that's awesome, Josh. I think I'm going to visit mountainpathmarketing.com and schedule a call. Now, let's get back to the story field. Yeah. What does the normal person do? Like somebody maybe can't get a get their ministry leader on a trip. Like what's just, just some, how can they help today? You know, their local pastor. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about that. But I mean, one thing we can do is, Who's, who's responsible for the local senior pastor? Like who's actually responsible from a, from a, you know, policy perspective is the, the elders or the board, you know, different churches have different names for those people. But the first thing I would say is if you belong to a church, if you're not on the elder board or on the board or the oversight board, like the first thing is for those people to make sure this guy has, I mean, you would be shocked at how many pastors I talked to who have been in ministry for 20, 25 years and never had a sabbatical. Well, the reason why is because you got eight business guys on your board that all live busy lives and all have make money and do real well and work their butts off. And they go like, well, I never got a sabbatical in my company. Well, that's not why you're here. You're not here as a business guy on this board because we're comparing this pastor to you. Like somebody didn't call you last week at midnight and say their, their son just shot themselves in the head and they need you to come over and help figure it out. And then, by the way, you're going to spend the next two weeks with these people talking about why a good God would allow their son to shoot himself in the head. That's just one. Oh, and then by the way, on Saturday, on Sunday, you need to get up and preach a banger sermon that was better than the last three weekends that you've given. Like it's not the same. But what happens is we have the oversight of these churches are being led by business guys who think that the pastor is a business guy, that he's got the same exact. Now there are similarities. Don't get me wrong. They're both leading things. They're building buildings. They're managing people. They're managing money. All those kinds of things. But on your spirit, the things that your spirit has to, that weighs on your spirit, that affects your spirit. The difference between being a pastor and a business guy is very different. So if you like your pastor, I would say, if you're out there listening to this and you're just a business guy and you like your pastor and you actually want him to be around for 10, 15, 20 years, that you want him to pastor your kids and their kids, which would be a great thing. We love that generational leadership like that. And we know it's effective. Then start to care for him. Stop trying just to use him all the time. 
try to be a blessing to him. Do you know how many pastors I talked to who have been pastoring 20, 25 years have never received just a letter? I literally had a guy from Florida just weeping one time. I was like, man, I'm thinking he's about to tell me he's been having an affair on his wife or something bad's happening or he's suicidal. And I was like, man, what's going on, dude? What's going on? Are you okay? It was after dinner. He said, he said, they should have been the ones to do it. And I was like, oh, geez, like, what is this guy talking about? He's like, they should have done it for me. I was like, what are you talking about? Like my church, I've been there for 22 years. And like, they've never done something like this for me that what you've done for me this week. And I said, oh man, I'm so sorry. He's like, the the gift should have come from them, not from you. They never had to pay for me to be here this week. They never cared for me enough to send me to something like this last 20 years, 22 years. And then he went on to tell me that he keeps one thank you letter in a side drawer next to his bed on his in his side table one thank you letter that he's gotten from a parishioner this is a big church i'm not talking like 100 people it's like thousands of people church one thank you letter that he keeps next to his bed that he got from a parishioner over 22 years that said thanks pastor for what you did here's how you affected me because here's what happens it's just like it's like kids ministry right everybody assumes that if your kid went in and checked into church this morning somebody's taking care of the kids so you don't need to take care of them it's totally handled the same thing is like with pastors, everyone thinks like, well, somebody else must be blessing this guy. He's driving a nice car. He's got a great home. He's got a benefit package. He probably makes 120 grand a year. You know, we got a beautiful church campus. Like, I bet you everybody's sending this guy an Applebee's gift card on the weekend. It's like, you know, I remember being in church for eight years and be like, man, you got an Applebee's gift card and, and a thank you note from somebody. You were, you were in tears, you know, like you just couldn't believe it. So there's all kinds of ways to be able to love pastors, care for pastors you know, serve pastors, be a blessing to them outside of what we're doing and just letting them know that what they do matters, that they're seen and that, that you care for them. That's a big deal. Yeah. And before anybody accuses you of saying like, what does Brian know about it? I mean, you pastored for how long you said eight years? Yeah. Yeah. I was in a church for a lot of years and you know, it's all a part of my story, but yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us, so back up to your story a little bit. You grew up Montana guy. Yep. Grew, grew yeah. up Billings, Montana, born and raised. Yep. That's where I'm at this morning is here in Billings. And yeah. Okay. Then, then what would happen? Graduate high school? Did you go into? Yeah. When, uh, I graduated high school, went on the mission field, with youth of the mission, uh, did that for a year, came back to our church here in Billings and was a part of a, a kind of a Bible school program that they had there. And also was working at, at the church and pioneered a college ministry that then became a full-time position and then took over high school ministries, you know, being at the church, great church. But in the midst of that process, spent a lot of time with our senior pastor, who I really loved. And uh, he had a he had kind of a major meltdown, you know, in his mid 60s. And, uh, you know, we sent him away. You know, it's all public information. Obviously, the church knew all about everything that was going on, but sent him away to a place in Seattle for a month, you know, to kind of get some care. And he was kind of like, you know, touch and go whether or not he would be back with us. And, you know, I just it led me into like a lot of questions around, you know, for myself, looking at him, respecting him, loving him. Um, you know, just like everybody, you know, everybody thought this guy was like untouchable, like he was just killing it. Right. Like, and, um, you know, he wasn't, so, uh, you know, he, he, he needed help and care and love just like everybody else. So that was when I actually started fishing with these other buddies was the year after that. Cause I was like, man, if I'm going to not be like him, I'm going to probably need to put some things in the place in my life that would lead to a different, uh, ending than, than, and he came back. He's a great guy. still a great friend. And, a world-class leader. And, you know, it's amazing the story that he came back from that and changed some patterns and rhythms in his life and his leadership. And, and um, so I'm thankful for that, but it definitely led me uh, being a pastor, watching him going like, uh Oh, like, mm. I think if we just took care of that guy, like we might have a great impact through our lives. And uh, my wife and I both, you know, believe that she's actually 
you know, we have women here every single day um, of the week, seven days a week right now here. We run women's trips from January till Easter. So she runs all that with our women's team, which is unbelievable. And boy, you want to, you want to talk about sitting in a heart wrenching dinner time, you know, listen to pastors, wives, and, uh, and also women who are leading ministries and nonprofits. And, oh, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And we could run two full-time locations just for, just for the wives of the people we serve and women who are leading amazing things around the country and working their butts off and being moms. And, um, but it's, it, it's as, as isolating as it can be for a pastor or a, a male leader or a female leader who's leading something amazing or a female pastor, which we love, um, you know, as isolating it is, as it is for the men, like the women, it's even worse because, you know, they want their kids to look good and they want to protect their husbands. So they don't want to share too much about what's going on in their marriages. But boy, when you give them a platform and a space and a table to sit out where it's private and they can really talk about how they're doing. Whew, yeah. Boy. Oh man. So, yeah. So fast forward to now, I still want to get back to that jump, that moment. Yeah, I'm just so interested in God's faithfulness in that, in your story. But, but right now you guys tell us about the two properties um, that you're running and kind of how the trip and the layouts like, like work, give us a little bit of a big picture fly by on those. And then I want to get back to the jump, you know? So, yeah, well, we started out, we started out on the Bighorn river in, um, in Fort Smith, Montana, which is just an incredible, you know, world-class fishery and it's close to where we're at. And people are like, why did you pick the Bighorn? I'm like, well, we didn't, we just, where we live, like, that's where we fish. And we, we just got blessed, you know, to be on one of the best rivers in the world. And so we started taking our friends there and just naturally, you know, grew there um it's close to where we live all that kind of stuff now we live down there full time you know we have a big staff facility and um we're home at our house here in Billings on the weekends but then we also picked up a uh so so COVID was actually horrible for us and great for us and I think this is true for a lot of organizations and that you know it forced us to reach out to some people and, and try to find some other places to meet because um we couldn't meet on the Bighorn River because the, it's in the middle of a, a, an Indian reservation and they shut down the, the reservation because they didn't want anybody coming in during COVID you had to go through two checkpoints. Like there was no way we were going to be able to help, help leaders. And at the same time, we were supposed to be running trips. We were booked with trips and leaders are calling us like falling apart. I mean, imagine those first days of 2020, you know, April, May. I mean, leaders are like literally going like, I need to get away now. Like I've got this trip. Like, what can you do? We moved to Kansas city for, you know, six weeks or something to a buddy's ranch out there, ran trips, people flew into Kansas. We moved a bunch of our staff out there, took our fleet of vehicles out there, took our rods out there. I mean, our chefs, everything, and started running trips out there. But in the midst of that, I was calling around during that time uh, to find a you know place where we could meet. And I talked to a, a guy in, in Wyoming who has a big ranch down there, became friends with him. And he uh, actually sent me a listing on a, a ranch in Wyoming one time in, in 2020, maybe late 2020. And, and anyway, long story short, we ended up leasing that property down there. It's a great ranch from the guy that owns it. And um, it's been a really spectacular property, 25,000 square foot lodge, seven miles deep in the wilderness, you know, Man, I acres, will, two private lakes, private river. It's a great spot. Yeah. I'll testify to that. I, I was blessed to, to get to be on that trip and be in that property. That place is amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable, amazing. So that's been really fun. It's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a, a challenge to get there, you know, but that's part of what makes it special. And, um, you know, we got horses, you know, 15, 20 horses back there and wranglers, and it's just a really fun spot, you know, so. But you talk about this so, like, it's just happened. I mean, you have, how many staff do you have full-time? I think we're about a little over 65, maybe something like that. It just takes a lot of people to care for people well, you know. And horses and boats and rods and mills and all that. So back up to where you were at your church and you were doing these trips with your friends. And then you said, man, like you said, I'm going to go all in now 
Like, what was that like making that jump? I mean, that's a huge risk, I would think. Yeah, it was brutal. Like, t- t- yeah, tell us about that, because I want to, I mean, that's a big deal for people to hear. Like, it didn't just happen. This thing don't just snap together. Yeah, it was, I mean, the first few years, it was just rough. So you know, what it's, like, it's, like <laughs> those, it's like those, it's like those stories where you hear people like, you know, say there's groceries that showed up on the front step of the pastor, you know, somebody brought eggs. You know, there was, there was too many sad moments where my wife's like, hey, I'm at the gas station or I'm at the grocery store and like, you know, credit card's not working. Um, so, you know, everybody, everybody looks at, you know, success later on and, you know, no one wants to talk about the early on and the price that our, our family, you know, paid and my wife paid and, you know, and yet for us, like it was, there was no other way, you know, like it was like, there's no turning back. Like there's not, we, like God wouldn't let us out from under his thumb on this one. Like it was just like, your wife no, was on board with you too. I mean, she's your amazing. wife was on board, right? She, had, she yeah, had peace I mean, too. She's a rock star, man. I mean, anyone that knows her, she is so led by the spirit and just faithful and um, just ferocious and strong. And yeah, she's, she's incredible. You know, it doesn't mean like, you know, we, we don't have our weak days or she didn't have her weak days, you know, weak moments of time, but she knows at the end of the day, even when it's hard and it's still hard, man. Like, I mean, my schedule and her schedule and we have three different locations that we live out throughout the year and she homeschools the kids sometimes and we put our kids back in school. I mean, it's, I'm, I travel a ton. I mean, it's, I mean, but she's just so faithful. And I think for anyone, you know, that's leading something, you know, significant that God's doing and stirring and there's great attack and warfare and, and you know, challenges to that, you better be married to somebody. Cause I think, that's one of the things that takes people out, you know, the most is when you're married to someone who just doesn't have that relationship with the Lord that has staying power to keep you in the thing that God's called you to do. You know, for me, like I wake up in the morning, my wife's already out in the kitchen or, you know, in her chair, reading her, her Bible and praying and taking communion like every day. I mean, like that's, that's why I can do refuge. You know, it's not because we have money or because we have staff or we have a need it's because that woman is, you know, before the Lord. And I think for a lot of guys, their wives are living in the flesh or they're not really, you know, tapping into that deep, you know, faithfulness of the Lord to hear his voice once again, to be able to come to that place where, um, you know, they, they are aligned with their partner and what God's called them to do. So, um, yeah, so early on, man, starting off, it was, you know, we had this really crappy little lodge that I had bought with a few buddies a few years before that one, one stinky bathroom, you know, the water smelled like sulfur, you know, four, four bunk beds or five bunk beds in there. We crammed 10, you know, guys in there and, you know, it was kind of falling apart, but we thought we won the lottery, man. We thought we were like the coolest thing since sliced bread, you know, having like an actual little lodge and, you know, um, now looking back on that property, people drive by it and like, I think there's no one that lives there. There's no way that thing's populated. So, you know, but it's just the natural course of growth. I think everybody thinks you just start out like, you know, the Hobby Lobby family just gave you like $20 million to go do this thing and get it started. And like, for us to this day, I mean, it's still a financial challenge, man. We like walk in faith financially literally every month that God's going to bring the resources that we need. I mean, there's no, everybody thinks that at some point there's some big daddy Warbucks behind you that's just funding the whole thing. And, you know, for me, I, I there should be. I mean, these guys who have big fan, family uh, offices, big family foundations, like this is the stuff they should be funding is, you know, like you said in the beginning of, of the conversation, like we're not just reaching 3,000 people, we're reaching 16 million people. You know, and and we have a waiting list of 60 or 80 groups right now on a, not people groups on a waiting list. I can literally open up location three and four and have them filled immediately. So and we're not even trying. That's not like us marketing or putting out Facebook ads or setting up a tent or a booth at the latest conference. That's just all people who have been here and word of mouth of people that go like, hey, I need this. Like, how do I get to this? You know, 
And so for us, you know, it's really about trying to bring leaders to a place of awareness. And this is the thing that oftentimes a book or a seminar or conference won't, won't do is, you know, if you say like our mission statement is we keep world changers in the game. It's like, well, that's nice. That's like a nice statement. Like find the most potent world changers on the planet doing the greatest kingdom work and figure out how to just keep them in the game, not educate them, you know, not just, just keep them in the game. A healthy, filled up, strong, vibrant leader will learn. They'll push through things. They'll grow things. But a weak, anemic, tired, disillusioned, cynical leader, I give them five months, six months, a year max. Like they're, once you see that moving in, that spirit moving in, like you're gone. So for us, I think one of the greatest things that you can do in, in an organization for a leader is to help them come to a place of awareness. What's dangerous for leaders is a lack of awareness. Where are you at physically? Where is your energy right now? How is your marriage right now? How are your kids doing? How's your organizational health doing? How's your physical health doing? How's your blood work? Blood work? I haven't done blood. Like, where's your testosterone at? Where, where are your hormone levels at? Like, how are you actually feeling? You know, uh, how's your mental health? I mean, what kind of trauma have you experienced? Not just in the last year or two, but trauma throughout your life that has been dealt with or undealt with. You know, so for us, we're spending a lot of time in the kind of like play and the kind of, you know, BS that, you know, happens on a, on a refuge trip of a lot of like laughter and joking around and, you know, shooting trap and, you know, going fishing like that's all just like foreplay for the real conversation, which is really a conversation about like, how are you really doing, which is, you know, about about trust around those areas. So, so for us, if, if, if your mission statement is we keep world changers in the game, then the first question you have to ask after that is what would take a world changer out of the game? What are the things that take world changers out of the game? And so really everything we do is hyper-focused again, through play, like no one would ever feel us being with us, but we have a tactical, very uh, uh, pointed process that we're trying to take people through to go like, hey, let's get some awareness around the things that we know historically take world changers out of the game. Your marriage is going to take you out of the game. Your physical health being poor is going to take you out of the game because there's a whole bunch of other things that go along with that. Uh, your mental, emotional health, if it's not good, is going to take you out of the game. Your uh, organizational health, you can't grow this thing that you're leading. So you just get discouraged and you leave. That'll take you out of the game. Uh, and then the last thing we talk about is your spiritual health. It's amazing how many guys and gals that lead spiritual organizations have a horrible spiritual life. We know this. Again, we know this from data and polling from groups like Barna that, you know, pastors and nonprofit leaders who lead spiritual organizations don't even read the Bible or pray very often for themselves. They only read their Bible for study and for preparation for sermons. So, again, it's, it's, it's very common that we sit at the table with people at night who are leading spiritual organizations. They're like, man, I don't even know where I'm at with Jesus. But I'm God. telling you right now, that, that guy can get up on Sunday and preach the paint off the walls. But when you sit with him privately, he's like, I don't even know where I'm at. Like, because he's learned a tool. He knows how to have a tool. I mean, look at all the leaders that we know who have failed over the last 20 years. You know, let's just go back to like Ted Haggard, someone like that's too huge. I remember watching CNN and they're following Ted Haggard, his wife around. You guys remember watching that on like CNN, seeing Ted Haggard and his wife and they're in the car. We all saw that. Right. But I have friends that went to church at that church and they were there. I mean, right. That at that time, I mean, the weekend before he preached the weekend before they're like, dude, the weekends before he got arrested or whatever happened, or, you know, accused. He was like, there were like sermons. I still remember that were like life changing for me. Like you can be out of a relationship and sync with the spirit and do and still have the the uh, tools to know how to like do God's business. And look at Judas. I mean, he's still out there doing stuff, managing the money, stealing some, of course. 
But the whole time, like out of sync and relationship and deep relationship and commitment to the to, to Jesus, as many of the other disciples were, and yet was still around him doing things. He was probably fairly effective during that time, even though he was, you know, in his heart, he was not in a good place with Jesus. So, you know, we know it's possible to be about the Lord's business and be paid and compensated as a pastor and still be out of sync spiritually and still be able to show up and get the job done. So that's the last part that we always talk to guys about is, that, hey, if your spiritual life's not just in a vibrant, great place with the Lord, like it's going to, you're not going to probably make it very long. Yeah, it's beautiful that, I mean, that awareness piece is huge, but sometimes you got to get them away. I mean, that's what's beautiful about the properties that the Lord's given through, to the refuge and what y'all have done is you got to get away that far, I think, or mm-hmm. you can slow down enough to even like answer that question. And yeah. that table time you guys have is beautiful. Yeah, that's our favorite time. We do everything for the table. And, you know, it's just we again, we really feel like just getting people out of their element and giving them a place where they can be served. Our staff is incredible. I mean, we have people that will come out from national hospitality groups, whether it's Chick-fil-A or, you know, corporate people or people that own hotels or, you know, restaurants. And they just are blown away at the way our staff serves and cares for people and just the, the spirit and heart they do that with. Again, that's all part of the process that God uses to soften uh, these leaders' hearts so that they can come to a place of awareness and, and actually really, you know, uh, deal with some things. And then and then they go home with a bunch of friends, you know, they met on that trip that they can now share these things with. And that's a whole nother part. I mean, there's so much to it that is uh, so complex. I think we're still trying to figure it out sometimes how God uses it all. But, you know, friendship is a huge piece of what we do. You know, we feel like we're curators of friendship. So we put the same we put the same, you know, kind of people on a trip that would want to be friends that maybe aren't friends, but we go like, Hey, we put these kind of guys together on this trip. They're going to fall in love and be best buddies. And we hear it all the time. I mean, it's weekly that we're hearing from people. And actually, right before I got on here, I had a friend that's in Nashville with her daughter looking at um, some schools and, you know, soccer stuff. And, and he actually got the numbers of, uh, you know, some big schools in Nashville for their head soccer coaches through a friend that he never knew that he met on a refuge trip. And he was just like, man, how cool is this, man? Like, I'm out here meeting with these head coaches of these soccer programs because this guy I met at Refuge has become one of my good friends, and he's in the soccer world and knows these coaches. And, I mean, I get those kind of texts and messages, like, almost daily from people that, you know, sync up, and now they trust each other because now they know more about each other than most people know just after one week. That's I mean, like, literally amazing. one week of sharing. You got, you know, eight, ten hours in a boat with a guy. You're going to know that guy. When was the yeah. last time you spent and talked for eight or ten hours with somebody and it's just natural. It's not like, I mean, our guys sitting in the middle, rowing these guys around, t- showing them you're catching fish, you're untangling knots, you're laughing. But then in the meantime, you're talking about your daughter or talking about, you know, a staff member that just betrayed you or talking about a, a financial need that's unmet that you're, you know, really anxious and scared about. And all of a sudden, like, again, the Bible says, when you do that kind of stuff, when you say those things and men do better shoulder to shoulder, you know, we hear the statement all the time, you know, women do better, maybe face to face. And so when you got two guys actually fishing, shoulder to shoulder in a boat, you know, 16 feet apart where they can still talk on this beautiful river in creation and eagles are flying over and deer are coming out and you're catching trout. I mean, you just feel like it's like, I, I would say it's the equivalent of a woman sitting in a, um, a, uh, a chair with a hairdresser uh, washing their hair, you know, scrubbing their scalp. And all of a sudden, you know, if you ever friends with a hairdresser, they're like, you know, well, these women say a lot more things and I really care to want to know sometimes, but as soon as you, you know, you put your, <laughs> your hands in their scalp and start massaging their scalp. They start talking, talking, talking. And there's something that's like that. You know, when you're rowing this guy down the river and serving his butt off and getting him drinks and feeding him lunch and catching him fish. And he, you put him in a boat with somebody else that he respects, you know, that there's just a conversation that starts to come out. That's just really remarkable. Mm. Well, 
a couple questions and wrap, we need to wrap it up. Unfortunately. Um, have you seen, how have you seen, or maybe I should say it this way. Has God been faithful to provide throughout the, all the ups and downs? You've been through some major challenges on it. And can you say, I mean, just looking back and like, you know, the no money at the gas pump and the food on your porch and has he been faithful to guide you through to the point where you're at? He has, but I think I've had to do a lot of my own like personal trauma work and, you know, been to counseling and therapy places because I think what happens is there's a, a spirit of anxiety or spirit of fear that builds up when you live in lack for so long, even though he does show up, you feel like, why do I have to work that hard for you to show up in that situation? You know, why do I have to like beg to find resources? Why, why did it come later than when we needed it? You know? And, and so, you know, for me, it's never a doubting of his faithfulness. It's just why, you know, why does it have to cost me so much to get to that point to be faithful, you know? And so, yes, he has, which I think the, the, the proof of that is that we're still here. Um, you know, and we're still doing it and we're still growing, but again, it it hasn't been like an easy, like, man, some people just came alongside us financially and just really has made this, you know, easy on us so that we can focus on the part that we focus on and do well. And that's the part I think that's challenging for me and, and, and can be disillusioning for me with the Lord at times is I'm like, I don't want to be out having to raise money and beg people for money to care about this. Um, so I can go out and just do the part that I want to do, which is be with leaders at the table and be in the boat with them and hanging with them and influencing them doing what I do best. Instead, I'm out there, you know, playing the dog and pony show, trying to get money for this and get people to care about something. And I think that's part of what's disillusioning and challenging for any leader that's leading in the nonprofit space is, you know, the thing that we want to do, the thing that we're good at, the thing that we're anointed for, we don't spend a lot of time for. And I'm not going to get in this morning, but I have a whole principle about the way that God sets up the kingdom and prophets, priests, and kings. And we have all these kings out here that have all this money and the prophets and priests are out there begging the kings for money. And then they're not out doing the thing that they're trying to do. And then the kings are trying to be prophets and priests and they're trying to function doing ministry yeah. stuff instead of just giving the money that they're making. And it's a whole, you know, it's a whole, probably another whole nother podcast to talk about yeah. that. But if everybody was functioning the way God intended it for him, for things to function and kings were being kings and they were funding the visions of prophets and priests and trusting them because there's all this distrust right now around, around kings, all this distrust that kings have around prophets and priests, because five years ago, 10 years ago, they gave their money to a priest. And again, I'm using biblical terms here, but they gave their money to a pastor or a nonprofit leader or a, 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 a group that's digging wells in Africa and, and somebody stole the money or they didn't use it well or didn't steward it well. And then all of a sudden the kings became, you know, what they would say, they became better stewards, right? That's their language yeah. for it was, well, we just became better stewards of the money. Well, but in, in, but what you did at the same time is you, you, you know, basically, uh, killed the messenger, the very thing that you wanted to put your money into that God would use the vehicle that God would use to take your money and to maximize it for kingdom potential. And you exacerbated those people to the point, you know, it's like when the Bible says, you know, parents don't exacerbate your children, you know, in the, in the Lord. And, you know, and so what happens is these guys feel so defeated. I feel so defeated sometimes financially, literally, you know, it's like shark tank out there for anyone that's trying to raise money trying to beg and show and, you know, give tools and resources and studies and statistics and financials and everything to try to get, you know, a thousand dollars or, you know, and we, we raised, you know, almost four and a half million dollars last year and we spent all of it. I mean, it wasn't like we had any money left over at the end. I mean, it's just really expensive to do what we do. And, you know, so I think, uh, uh, you know, the Lord has been faithful and, and yet it's been, it has not been easy. It's been, you know, very challenging and, and it continues to be a challenge for us. And, 
Um, we're waiting for that day where the Lord really brings together some kings that care about the future of the church, knowing that it's really predicated on the leaders. It has been since Acts chapter two. The church is always won or lost based on the leaders who God brings. And um, so even people always say all the time, like, man, God's faithful to his church. So he's faithful to the bride. He'll never let something happen. No, no, he is 100 percent. But that's not the American church. And if you don't believe that, let's go hang out in London tomorrow and we'll go visit a bunch of really awesome churches. that are now museums that were very vibrant 100 years ago. Yeah. I, he, he's 100 percent faithful to his church, his bride. That doesn't mean that that's America. That's not the American church. Like people think, well, like that, that and that's the American church. There's parts in the world where the church, his bride, is thriving mm-hmm. right now. It's growing. Their leaders are healthy. It's vibrant, you know. But that's not our church, not yeah. here. And again, if you think so, then just go look at the data, and, and you'll see otherwise. And yeah. the reason why is because our leaders are anemic and lonely and stressed out and, and, and not in a great position. So how can the Lord bless what he's doing in the church in America? How can we grow? How can we thrive? How can we reach more people? How can we disciple more people? Uh, if our very leaders are just in a total trash heap, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Man, I appreciate you saying that even about the provision. I think that's like, I think you're practicing what, you know, you're hoping the leaders accomplish that just authenticity. Hey, so well, quickly, how can um, somebody support the refuge? I mean, what's a good way? Is there a website or is there a place that, I mean, for people who hear this and be like, man, I want to support that. Yeah. Well, I mean, our, 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 everything we do is very private. So like our website, our social media, everything just really sucks. You know, we don't put pictures and stories, you know, you got all these websites and social media and organizations that just, I think they just kind of like prostitute the people they're serving, whether it's like kids in Africa or somewhere. And they got like tell every story of every little person and get all this glory. And for us, that just doesn't play for the people we're serving. You know, they want privacy. They want anonymity. They don't want people to know that they're, that they're here. And so our website's like, pathetic man it's like three pages you know there's some information about our board and our story and there's a big donate button and there's a registration okay. button where people can register but so you're not going to find a lot of information there if it's someone that's like listen to this and they really care about this and like man i want to know more you know i'm busy but happy to have a conversation with the right people they're like hey we we feel like we could be a part of like really pushing this forward in some way or really want to be helpful um you know my, my email is easy it's brian b-r-i-a-n at refuge foundation dot org anytime i'm on a podcast i always let people know like hey reach out to me if there's something we can do or, or a way that we can serve you know we're pretty much at 100 percent capacity this year and will be forever until we get more locations uh because we try to take care of the same people for 20 years uh, it doesn't work just to take care of somebody for a year and then they don't come back that's not going to help anybody so yeah. you know because of that though we feel we're full forever you know because yeah. the same people that came last year they all signed up for this year and, um, you know, we literally do not have one space and 80 groups on a waiting list. So I'm not sure that we can help you if, if it's something you need help. But if it's something that you're really even if you're a leader and, you know, you're listening to this and you just need to talk to somebody like, you know, email me. Let's talk. You know, I, I, might, I might not be able to get you on a trip, but I can at least talk to you and pray for you and, and, and you know, uh, see if I can care for you some way. Or if you're a financial guy that's out there that's listening to this and you've got some resources. And you're like, man, I've been looking for something. I've been waiting for something to get involved in where I, I really feel like my money's going to go further and be well stewarded to like invest in people who are investing in others. Like that's why we've given our lives to this. Cause we're like, what thing can we give to that's going to be having more potency than like, Oh, like we care about like, you know, trafficking. Okay. Well, we take care of guys from IJM uh, guy, from about five different, you know, sex trafficking organizations all come to refuge. 
all the young life, tons of young life guys come to refuge, pastors come to refuge, feeding programs come to get refuge, clean water people come to refuge. So I'm like, when I meet with a donor, I'm like, what do you love? And they're like, I love this. I'm like, great, we love the, we love those people. Let me tell you about five guys from that kind of organization who come here that we care for who are in a lot of trouble. And to the extent that we take care of the leaders of the things that you want to give to is the extent that your money is going to go further and be well taken care of and really be used well. So, um, so, you know, I think ways that people can be helpful is, you know, jump on board with us and help care for the people in your community, uh, jump on board with us financially and, you know, help push this mission along. Cause again, for us, it's not an issue of like, Oh, we're looking for, Every organization is looking for some, you know, churches are wanting people to fill pews and people they can help. Like we got more people that want to come here that want help than we have room and space for. And that's just a financial issue. So once we solve those financial issues, meaning, you know, God brings people along and we share the story plenty with people that have money and resources. But once that happens and we can buy a third location, a fourth location, we'll fill them immediately and take great yeah. care of those people. So there's lots of ways I think people can be involved. That's awesome. Hey, final thing. Tell me. Your bride wrote a book. Can we yeah. talk about that for a second and how people yeah, can look that. at that as well? I always love talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. She did an incredible job. Uh, she wrote a book. She's been thinking about this for a long time. And again, because she's such an avid reader and such a, she's brilliant theologically. Um, she really felt like the Lord put a message in, in her heart. The name of the book is called Throwing Confetti, Becoming a Voice of Hooray in a Hurting World. And, uh, you know, it sounds kind of like a women's book, but I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, as a man, like, even like, what does it look like to, to be what we call in our family, hooray in somebody's life in a world where everybody's so competitive. And, and my wife feels like this, especially amongst other moms and other women, tearing people down, just competition. I mean, this, this whole kind of like Yelp review world where everybody feels like they have an opinion to tell somebody else why they're better or, you know, why they're not as good as they should be. And so what does it look like to just throw confetti for people? What's the Bible say? I mean, her Bible, her biblical view on this whole thing of, of uh, really celebrating and honoring people is, remarkable. So it's incredible. Uh, you know, it'd be a great book for anyone that's listening that has, you know, a Bible study group that they want to go through something fresh. Uh, she's going to be coming out with the Bible study curriculum as well for it, but, um, it's a really an incredible book and I uh, would encourage anybody to get it. I think it's available at throwingconfetti.com. Awesome. We'll put a link to that, man, Brian, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. We'll be praying. Hopefully we'll get to some ears of some Kings and, uh, thank yeah. you for who you're serving and how you're serving. And, and I know you got a cool, great staff, great young men and women and y'all are just doing great so thanks for making thanks, a good time today. well we love you buddy and let's go fishing soon huh absolutely we'll hopefully see you soon take care all right thanks see ya thank you for joining us on this latest edition to the Storyfield podcast we hope that you have been challenged inspired and ready to take that next step whatever that is if you know someone with an amazing story that needs to be heard send us an email at info at thestoryfield.com. Have a fantastic day, and we can't wait for you to join us on the next episode of The Storyfield.